Well, Mbolo spent a long amount of time afterwards massaging that particular part of his body. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Ian McCourt and I'm a football addict. Luckily enough for me then, this weekend came with more action than a Kanye West home video or Mariah Carey's sister's day job, allegedly. There was the Bundesliga, there were balls to face, there were busy hands, all of which sounds like a Kanye West home video or Mariah Carey's sister's day job, allegedly. Here to talk about all of that and more is Nico Durbin. Guten Morgen. Danny Isroff. Morning. I'm Freddy Miyashida. Hello. Gentlemen, let's get straight to the Bundesliga action. Nico, the first weekend is over and Bayern are looking mightily impressive in their 6-0 win over Bremen. Yeah, they did. It was really impressive. I mean, you could say, yeah, Bremen didn't really perform well um, the week before in the in the German Cup. Um, but nevertheless, um, they they started off really well. Full stop. Even even Philip Lam got on the score sheet. That's even how, easy, that's how Lam, easy it was. Yeah, yeah. I actually read it's funny. Um Ribery, Alonso and Philip Lam together make ninety nine years and they scored three goals. <laughs> wow. <laughs> even Thomas Muller looked good as well. Is that surprising? Well he had that awkward summer. He yeah, well he had an awkward summer. Um but I think Ancelotti really made use of the couple of weeks that he had and um it's also really good for Bayern Munich to start against a team like Bremen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bremen. Um, but yeah, this way they, they can really get warm and start off with some success. And it wasn't too hard, though. I don't think there's much more to say about it other than that, is there really? Other than Vedder were trending in the US during the match. They were trending. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I guess Bayern have been doing a huge amount of work on their... US fan base they have they've been doing a lot of ads based in New York and that sort of thing and I guess uh, when the tonking they were giving Bremen attracted the US fans just so they're simply so efficient and and that's just the the, in a nutshell um, the summary of that game Bayern was so efficient and and every pass led basically to a chance did you see what happened to Arjen Robin's son no he is training with 1860 Munchen. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he? I guess he's maybe nine or ten, something like that. But the Bayern fans were none too happy and they unfurled a banner that read, there's only one team in Munich, Ian. <laughs> so, is there yeah. much competition between the two teams? <laughs> he, well, there's not much competition, but one would say that the traditionalists are rather uh, 1860 uh, fans in Munich, you know. It's also Bavaria, like Bayern Munich. It's Bavaria Munich. So, um, yeah, the city team is 1860. Okay. Well, Lam says he's already confident of winning the league, but one team that could possibly stop them, Dortmund, they had a nice win over Mainz. They had a nice win over Mainz, yeah, with Andy Schüle and Thomas Tuchel, two uh, Mainz originals, actually. Um, Schüle, man of the match. Um with the assist and then the he was fouled before the penalty. Um, himself had a couple of really good shots on target as well. Um, so that was really promising. Um, I expected Mainz to be a bit stronger ag- against against Dortmund. Um, and I, I would be surprised in the end if Dortmund um, 
would be number one um, competitor for Bayern Munich this season. But uh, they're starting off well indeed, yeah. Well, two things. I think, one, Mainz is, Mainz is a decent side and it's just going to show it's not all going to be smooth sailing for, for Dortmund with so much player turnover. You know, Tuchel's going to have to figure out what his best eleven is and, and and how to make it work with all the new players. And then the, the second thing, I feel like we say it every week, but how wonderful is uh, Usman Dembele? Hmm. And just a phenomenal talent. He seems to create danger every time he gets on the ball. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Schürrle penalty for a moment. Wasn't really a penalty, was it? Well, quite out the box, he, no? at least at least a meter out. No, was it? I mean, he pulled them. It was quite. Uh, I think it's I one of those know. where where the official rule is if the contact kind of continues. I mean, he, he grabbed him, and if the contact continues into the box, then I think the referee is well within his rights to give a penalty. Yeah, but even if it starts like yeah, quite yeah, a bit out. even if it starts outside, yeah, it's gray zone, I'd say. And when I saw it, I did not complain about it being a penalty. I remember. But if you see the, you know... Yeah, replay, obviously, it's the thing in slow motion. Yeah. Okay, one of the matches that we'd picked out beforehand was Gladbach against Leverkusen. Yeah. Um, Gladbach came out on top, just about. Yeah, Gladbach's, Gladbach's counter-attacking, we, we call it Umschaltspiel in, in German, is very good, very quick. One-touch football, it's two, three contacts, and then the ball is in the box. And um, Leverkusen played a decent match um, but when they lost the ball um, Klapper was able to to create two or three 100 uh, percent chances and and in the end used used that as well just one quick question would you say with Schalke's result and given how effective uh, Gladbach look they they are kind of the early leaders in the race for third place would you say or too early to say um, well, third third place, I would say, who are the three teams behind Bayern Munich? And then, um, like, who who get, ends second and third has so much to do with the momentum they get, who are they playing when, um, how are they performing in, in the Champions League, and so on. But the, the main, yeah, main contender for second place for me is uh, um, Leverkusen still, and then you have Gladbach uh, and Dortmund, um, and then you have Schalke, Wolfsburg the maybe, yeah. and so on, the rest behind that. But Gladbach is really, really um, good team. Um, curious to see how they play when they um, are the favorite, because um, then they don't get as many chances to counterattack. But I mean, yeah, there's there's not not much more to say than uh, to that. And, and as nice as it was to see Gladbach's counterattacking and nice defense and all the goals, do you know what my favorite part of the game was? What's that? It was Bernlino. Oh. Did I pronounce that right? Bernlino. Bernlino. Yeah. Bernlino. Getting the ball in the face from Twice. about five yards out. <laughs> They're like 93 Twice. kilometers per hour. The oh, yeah. Yeah, they clocked it at 93 yeah. miles an hour. He it was, didn't even knock Crazy. him out. He, he stood right back up. I mean, he shook his face a bit afterwards, but he, he stood right back up. He's a goalie. I mean... Even still, that's, it, that's pretty impressive. He's German. He's, he's made of steel. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we mentioned Schalke a bit. That's surprising. Yeah, one yeah. 0 to Eintracht, eh? I mean, there's still there's Alex Meyer. He's a phenomenon. 
when you look at it, uh, if you, if you were watching uh, uh, the match live and you just see how he controls the ball and just finishes it with his left foot, it looks so easy. And then you see the replay and you see that he was turning and, and getting the ball, receiving it and putting it in. With, it wasn't that easy. And this man, he's just ice cold. He missed the penalty, to be fair. Um, but still, and, and we're talking about a player who's scoring double digit in, I don't know how many, how many years consecutively. He, didn't ha he doesn't have one appearance for the German national team, just as a side note. And he's an absolute... Just giant for Frankfurt. He would have been useful during that whole Euro campaign there, wouldn't he? Yeah, but he's not that sort of player that Yogi Löw, um, you know, uses for his national team. Yeah, but it gives you another option. I think he's a very good finisher. Ah, he's a very good finisher, absolutely. I would not have questioned Yogi Löw uh, taking him on board, but uh, it was never really a discussion. Did you see what happened to poor Bria Limbolo? On his debut? <laughs> yeah. Yikes. I, when I saw it, I was wondering if, um, I don't know who, who the defender was. It was uh, Bastian Oshipka. O Oshipka. I mean, that's that sort of situation where... Sorry to interrupt you for a second, Nico. The lads are looking at you like they don't know what's happened. So maybe you oh, should... Maybe you <laughs> should didn't want to say anything. Maybe yeah, you should goal. explain. Yeah, I didn't watch it. Okay. So, um, Mbolo, no, 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 it's better than that. Yeah, Mbolo comes in at halftime for his debut for Schalke. And uh, he runs on the wing. He's a bit quicker than the defender, Ochipka. And Ochipka uh, tries to, to stop him. Um, but the jersey or the short is not enough. So he holds on to a rather intimate and sensitive part of uh, Mbolo's body I which see. is I see you know which can be uh, hurtful um, well Mbolo spent a long amount of time afterwards massaging that particular part of his body <laughs> <laughs> uh, it genuine. it did look painful I'll give him it, that it did look painful and what I was wondering was you know we, we, we saw a Franck Ribéry before when he was touched or stopped in a similar uh, uh, move just giving the elbow or something like that and then being sent off with the red card. Um, and especially when it's your debut and you, you, you want to show that you can, can make a difference and somebody stops you like that in your first minutes. I mean, I'm surprised that he, he stayed cool and that he... I mean, maybe he was just too hurt, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you always remember your first. Yeah. Well, That's what I would say. Welcome. <laughs> Danny, what about the All-American hero, Bobby Wood? Bobby Wood, yeah, it was a great goal, wasn't it? It was Scoring, a really good goal. in his debut. Um, yeah, it's, it, he's a bit of an enigma, Bobby Wood, and, and I really don't know how he's going to do sort of long-term in the Bundesliga if, he, if, that's, if that's his level. On, on the one hand, you always get a great work rate. He's always you know, running and, and, and struggling and causing problems for defenders. On the other hand, when the ball comes into him, he might take an absolutely crap touch or he might go and do what he did at the weekend, which is smash the ball in, in the goalkeeper's near post on the yeah. on the half volley. Um, he did score a lot of goals for Union. For Berlin. Union, yeah. He scored, uh, I think, 17 last year in, mm -hmm. in, in, in 30 games. Um, so he had quite a good record and he's still young. I think he's one of those players who's who 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 really works to improve and he's always willing to learn mm -hmm. and to, to work to get to the next level. So hopefully he can he can be successful in the Bundesliga. It was his first ever shot in the Bundesliga. Well, that's a good good way to do it. Isn't yeah. it? And it was his only shot on goal for the entire match. Also a good way to do it. <laughs> Very uh, German efficiency. Yeah. yeah. Over in Italy, meanwhile, it was an action-packed weekend, man, Freddy. Yeah. Where should we start with this? With uh, Genoa on top of the league or with Joe Hart going to Torino? 
I mean, I think Joe Hart going to Torino is, is crazy. It's That's insane. incredible, it's isn't insane. it? It's insane. insane. What type of, for those who may not be initiated in the ways of Torino, what maybe you could give a I little mean, bit Torino of background on it? I mean, Torino are historically a big club. You know, they've, they've, won, they've won more league titles than, than City, if we want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, I mean, in recent years, in the past, I don't know, 20 years, even more, um, you know, they're, they're a mid-table team. Sometimes they do better, sometimes where they guard Europa League a couple of years back. But, I mean, you'd never see this happening, especially like England's number one. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you'd think someone else could just swoop in and, and get Joe Hart and said Torino made... I mean, they made the most of it. As soon as they heard that the, you know, the news was out, they, they went in and they caught the chance opportunity. But it's still a crazy, crazy move. It's a nice city, Turin, though. He'll he'll like it there. It's, yeah, I mean, he'll definitely. I mean, even on the other side of Turin, he'll have, uh, um, he'll have some good rivals, you know. So yeah. he'll he'll enjoy the Turin derby. He could get some lessons from Buffon on how to uh, be yeah. a good goalkeeper. I as mean, well. I think Buffon in in a lot of interviews he said that his favorite goalkeeper is Joe Hart. You are joking. So he said, really? he said like he. I know he has like a lot of, um, you know, he uh, even in front of like. The youngsters like Courtois and experienced goalkeepers like Czech, he always put Joe Hart in front. He said he's he's one of the best keepers in the world. So I know he, you know, he he likes them in that way. So maybe you know he they could they could become besties. Besties, yeah. Jeez, that'd be an interesting reality TV program, <laughs> wouldn't it? Buffon and Hart. Yeah. <laughs> well, there is a danger that the move could be could be finalized by the time this podcast gets out to yeah. the world. Yeah, but Apparently it is. It, it looks like a done deal, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay, um, should we chat a bit about Genoa, or should we go on to Roma's meltdown? Oh, man, Roma are insane. I mean, I think they already failed the. the I mean, it's we're in August, and yeah. for me, they already failed the league. Like the the whole. Yeah. I mean, how can you not go through the reach the Champions League? You're playing at home against Porto. You lose three nil. You go. You lose three nil. Your captain does an insane tackle. Like an experienced player like Dorothy should never do. I mean, he's known for doing. Stuff like that, you know, it's not the first time, but he has the tattoo for it. He has a tattoo, yeah. yeah. So at least, I mean, at least he's consistent. But he, in those kind of games, under that pressure, the captain, the leader, should never, should never go in like that. And so, I mean, so, they had the meltdown, melt against Genoa. I think they, they lacked, um, how do you say, like mental, um, the, under the mental aspect, they were just, they just weren't there anymore. Because they were two 0 up. Yeah, they were two 0 up, and then away from was it away from home? It was away. I mean, Cagliari is not an easy place to go. Even mm-hmm. when big teams go there, it's always a heated, uh, heated place, heated stadium. So it's not an easy place to go. But I mean, if you're two 0 down and you know what happened like a week before against Porto, you should you have to stay concentrated and remain, you know, focused. It's, you, but I mean, they have so many problems. The defense is is. I think they tried fixing it during the summer, but you can't fix it if you bring in players like Fazio and Jesus <laughs> and Vermalen as well. So they they still got so many problems and yeah. Spallelli took it well. Yeah. Throwing yeah, himself on yeah. the ground. Did you see this day? Yeah, yeah, he threw himself on the ground. It'll create a great vine, I'm Perfect. sure. We'll, we'll yeah. post it on social media later. Yeah. Uh, the one positive for Roma has to be um, Kevin Strootman. Yeah, I, I think, I mean... He, the last time he played was like two years ago or something. Uh, you know, actually played. He's he's an unreal midfielder. Even in the Champions League, when they were down to nine men, I felt he was the only player really kind of driving yeah. the team forward, trying to mm-hmm. trying he's to make things happen. Great, under great the like um, aggression and mentality, he's he's 
an amazing midfielder, amazing player. He's and he's young as well. And after all he's been through, he's he's so good. And it's uh, he scored against Cagliari, of course. Yeah, nine hundred and fifty-two days since his previous goal, which came in January twenty fourteen against Livorno. Yeah, I mean that's probably one of the last times he he played. I yeah, think, it would be. Yeah, yeah, two years ago. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great comeback. Did you want to chat to us about about? Uh, and I'm just guess I'll pronounce this right. Domenico Berardi. Berardi. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying it. Always sounds better. It says, yeah, we, <laughs> it always sounds better when an Italian says an Italian name. I mean, I've been saying it for years. I think Berardi's the best Italian talent we've, you know, we have, and he's. If he stays uh, disciplined, which he still isn't because he gets a lot of red cards, but uh, if he stays dip- disciplined and focused and he follows the right footsteps, I think he can even reach the levels. It's a, it's a big thing I'm saying, but I think he has the potential to reach even like players like Del Piero and, and Totti, and he's he's so good. Well, he is the youngest Italian player to reach 40 Serie A goals. I think he has... Since 94? I think he has 50... Because, I mean, he scored, when he was 19, he scored 16 goals. When he was 20, he scored 15 goals in Serie A. Last year, he scored eight, I think. Uh, now he's already on two in two games. So, I mean, he's a winger. He's young and he scores so many goals. You, I mean, yeah. do, do you think he should be? I, I was seeing this week Ventura said he wasn't in the Italy squad because he doesn't fit into the, the formation at the moment. Do you think he should just be there anyways? I mean, yeah, I think if if you're a quality player, you should you know how to play in a, in a certain system or in a different system. You know, I think the the managers should choose the best players and then make and then make a, a formation or a way of playing, especially if you're at the beginning like Ventura and you cannot not pick. Mm. You, you talk a lot of sense. I, I, it really annoys me when they don't pick a certain player because, oh, he won't fit into this formation. No, especially the thing is, it's not like it's not like Italy are blessed with a wonderful generation of attacking players at the yeah. moment. You know? They've and got this brilliant player who's scoring goals for fun. Why wouldn't you want him in the squad? Especially, even there's another option from the bench, at least. Especially because we have, I mean, before, okay, when Barzai was on his top of his game, then fair enough, we can play with the, the three defence. But in two years, Barzai won't be at, at the top of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, we have some really good strikers like Bilotti, Pavoletti. Young ones. Better, young young mm-hmm. ones. So now yeah. maybe it's time to kind of shift, you know, the the way of playing as well and not stick with the three, three-man three defence. You also have, uh, talking of young promising strikers, you also have that Mario Balotelli chap. What's the story I mean, with this? Is he off to Palermo or what do we think? I don't know. Every every day you get a new, you get a new speculation. Apparently he was going to League One now in Germany, in France, sorry. Um... But uh, what can you say about Balotelli? Because I mean, it was rumours that he would live with his parents if he moved back to Palermo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can't see uh, Balotelli agreeing to, to that. Okay. Um, any other business you want to mention about Serie A? Maybe something about Milan? Yeah, I think, I mean, the two Milan clubs, they're still, um, they're still under construction. But I think Milan, I mean, I think Inter have the better players, but Milan have the better coach, the better manager. At least for what we've seen now in the first two games, I think Inter are still like finding their way. Well, Milan, you can actually see Montella's uh, like tactics, and he, you know, they play with Suso and Yang. Suso moves in, and then Abate from the right. He, you know, you can actually tell that he's been working on the team. Well, Inter, they've got some really good players, but they're still not a team. So, 
yeah, I'm I'm actually enjoying to watch Milan play, even if they lost on the weekend. I got a confession to make. I'm a massive Montella fan. And when you remember when he played for Roma? Yeah, he was. He I was had amazing. Montella nine on the back of my Roma oh, jersey. Look at that. Yeah, <laughs> but that was only because they'd run out of toddies, and I couldn't get that <laughs> onto the jersey. <laughs> Anyway, and a routine win for Juventus. There's not much to say there. There's never some games they'll win by a lot, and some games they'll win by a little. But but eventually but they, they, they will win, win the title. They will win the league. No questions. Um, hey, Danny. Yes, sir. Last week it was uh, the Champions League draw. Yep, this how is e- true. How excited did you get about it? I got very excited. I think um, for the first time in a while, there's sort of an interesting group of. Uh, a few of, interesting of, of, groups, uh, yeah, of kind of new well of new teams, which which makes it kind of makes it more lively. The 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 fact that Leicester were uh, uh, in pot one, for example, just throws everything off. Um, so yeah, there's there's some exciting stuff going on. Did you want to pick out a group of death? Because there's a, a, group there's, a couple, there's a couple of options. I, I, I was thinking Group D. Uh, mm, no, I don't like Group. I, I don't think Group D is that that tricky. I I think uh, City's group, Group C, is potentially quite difficult. Uh, Just uh, let us let us know what's in that group again. Uh, so that's the one with Barcelona, where Pep's going back to to Barcelona. So Barcelona, City, um, Mönchengladbach, and Celtic, uh, and I think City might struggle. I think it'll be a real test of of Pep's ability how he how he navigates that group. Um, and then the other group, which I wanted to to bring up, just because I think it's um, completely open, is the uh, the Group E with Tottenham in it. Oh yeah, which is um, Tottenham, Leverkusen, CSK, Moscow, and uh, Monaco. I think really any two of those teams could could go through in that group. Because Monaco beat PSG at the weekend. They did. They they looked very very solid, and they could do quite well in the in the, in the Champions League, especially if they can hold on to some players in the past in the next forty eight hours. Or whatever that was always a big question of yeah. Monaco, right? Yeah. Um, any early exits that you wanted to possibly nominate? I. Thought City at the start, but then I thought, nah, they've got, they've got, um, they got Pep. They'll get through that group. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. I, it's kind of tough. I think Celtic are kind of always up for these big games in in Europe. Even if they they typically end up going out in the group stage, they might get a win here or a win there uh, against a bigger side. And then we've we've just been talking about um, Gladbach. I think that that trip to Germany could be could be really difficult. Um, the the other one. Uh, that I wanted to pick out is I think in Group H, which is uh, Juventus, Sevilla, Lyon, and uh, and Dinamo Zagreb. Uh, you'd expect one of Sevilla or Lyon to go through with with Juve, but I wouldn't sleep on uh, Zagreb, who I think are a good side and are always great to watch. So I think one of uh, one of um, Lyon or Sevilla could go out in the group stages. Manfredi, Juventus' aim this year is the Champions League. They're not too worried about this area title, right? I mean, I think their objective is still the Serie A because no one's won six seasons. Oh, in okay. <laughs> right. So I think they want to make history in that sort of way. But I mean, when you spend ninety million for Higuain, you should you should try and win the Champions League. Um, but I think they're missing a, a, someone in the midfield. If they buy a top midfielder now in the last few days, then then I can see Juventus as one of the favorites for the. For the Champions League, because they've won, they've always improved in the in the last three four years. They should look at that Pogba chap. He's really good. <laughs> I saw him play for Manchester United a few times. See, yeah. he'd be worth spending <laughs> a bit of money on. Um, anybody want to go out on a limb and predict an early winner that we can throw back in your faces later in the uh, <laughs> later in the season? <clears throat> Nico, an early winner. I'm looking at the groups right now. Um, I would just say I don't know. 
Just predict one. I mean, we would Buy, Bayern oh. Munich. Okay. <laughs> I thought you might go with that, actually. Yeah. Manfredi? Juventus. Danny? I think Barcelona. Not right. not very adventurous, but... Uh, I, n- I noticed none of you gone for Leicester. No. No, we think the dream has died, do we? Yeah. I'm going to go with Manfredi. I think if this might be Juventus's year. They're my second pick, but Barcelona are so good. There are a couple of um, new rules. There are. Yeah, you want to break I, them down for those I, I who mean, might have been uh, yeah, who might sure. have missed out on these? Not for not for this season. Not for this but, season, but, no, for the upcoming season. Start, starting, I think, in 2018, um, which is basically to sort of um, dull dull the threat of uh, a few of the top clubs breaking away and forming their own super league. Uh, UEFA has agreed that the 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 top four teams from the top four leagues, so that's England, Spain, Germany, and Italy, will all be guaranteed places in the in the group stages uh, starting in that in that season. And for me, it's absolute madness. Um, just for an example, this year you've got uh, two teams from Italy in the group stages, and why do you have two teams from Italy? Well, that's because Roma goodness. lost to the third yeah. place team from Portugal. Uh, and then you want to add another Italian team into the Champions League, so someone's going to have to go play in an empty stadium somewhere in Italy when there are more deserving teams around uh, uh, around Europe. And and my big question here is, uh, is is from I think there's one big stakeholder group that's being left out of this whole conversation, and that's the fans. And do even fans of big clubs is this really what they want? I I don't know. That's a that's a question. I mean, I don't think Milan fans. I mean, I don't think they're gonna get fourth place. But if they do get fourth place, do Milan fans want to see their team get out to the? But that's that's <laughs> the only the only group. Okay, so so supporters from two teams in Italy might be. Ple- I mean, Milan is basically the only. But I mean, big even team I can think Milan, they know the reality they're in, in. They're in, you know. So, do they actually want to go in the Champions League with the team they have now and go out in the in the group stage or something like? I mean, they're well aware of the team they have, and they they know it's not good enough. So even for them, I think it's it's not as good as it seems, you know. I think it takes away from the, the what was what was always interesting to me about European football is that you play these sort of smaller teams, and it could be a tricky affair, and you never quite know. You know how it's going to pan out for the bigger teams, and it's always nice to see a bigger team lose. Guaranteeing those four places for each of those uh, four countries, and it's arguable whether, and no disrespect, my friend, but it's arguable whether Serie A is even one of the top right. top leagues like that in Italy. Yeah. It, it takes away some of the fun for me. No, I think completely, and it takes away some of the the sort of adventure. I mean, imagine a situation where you're going to have basically sort of the same four teams making up from, from the, the four leagues making up half of the Champions League group stages. And I, again, I just want to ask the question, who actually wants this besides sort of the, the big clubs who are trying to, um, to, to break away, maybe? Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, last week, Robbie Keane announced to the world that he would be retiring from international football after Ireland's game at home to Oman on Wednesday. On the line to talk to us about Keane and his Irish career is Dan McDonald from the Irish Independent. Dan, did Robbie's announcement come as any surprise to you at all? Uh, no, not really, um, Ian, to be honest. I mean, the you know, it's sort of after the European Championships, it was clear that, that Robbie Keane and, and Shea Given were going to go anyway. And then, and then John O'Shea was... A possibility. It was. It was announced that O'Shea was staying. It was announced that Shea Given was going. 
and there was no announcement from Robbie at all, but but no news really meant that it was going to be the end, and it seemed like really they were just trying to trash out the details, perhaps, of this farewell match that, that has been played on Wednesday night against Oman, um, where... Uh, a game that was on the schedule and people were wondering really what is the point of an international friendly with Oman um, but the fact that it's turned into a Robbie Keane farewell match has given it a sense of purpose but when the news came it, it had been well flagged I think it was a natural end he over the past two years since Martin O'Neill has come in really um, O'Neill has managed the transition from Keane being the regular starter to Keane being a, an impact sub or not even involved at all pretty well. I mean, it was a surprise to people in other countries. I mean, I remember in France, this, you know, the Swedish media being shocked when Robbie Keane didn't start the first game and assumed there was an injury or some problem when really, I suppose, those of us covering the Irish beat knew that his time had passed in terms of being a number one striker. And um, if he was going to start another campaign where he mightn't have played in the big games, you know, at 36, it didn't really make sense. So it was the it was the natural end for him, really. Some of the figures behind Keane's international career are amazing. So it's 67 goals in 145 games, just one behind Gerd Muller. More international goals than Messi and Ronaldo. And as you pointed out in your piece the other day, he's five ahead of Brazil's Ronaldo and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But some of the reaction was, was mixed, especially from the public. Why do you think that is, Dan? Yeah, I, I, I suppose the mixed reaction probably mirrors um, the attitude to Robbie during his career. I'm, I'm not sure if it's been that mixed really since the retirement. I think it's probably been fairly positive all around. And I think the point's been made that maybe people are trying to make up um, and compensate for the, the, the ambivalent attitude that there was towards Robbie at times. Yeah, like in some ways, it's a classic case of... Um, you know, the footballer who's been around from his early teens, you know, from his sorry, mid-teens, I suppose, almost being taken for granted and, and going through this these phases that every footballer seems to go through, um, you know, where they're, they're the exciting next best thing when they come along, then they go through the phase of, God, he's not as good as we thought he might be, perhaps, um, is he overstaying his welcome? And then towards the end, and acceptance that, God, we're really going to miss this guy when he's gone. And you, you do see that with players sometimes, unless they are the absolute elite Messi, Ronaldo figures. Um, and I think in Ireland as well, I, I, I mean, Bobby Keane touched on it in his retirement press conference and, and sort of admitted that, I, I suppose, you know, he always had a confidence. He admitted there was sort of a fine line between cockiness and, and confidence. And, and maybe some people viewed him as cocky, um, maybe you know he wasn't the most polished media performer, and I mean, as he said himself, probably you know turned down opportunities to do a lot of stuff really. And it's only since he's gone to America, where there's a much more open approach to the media, that he's possibly become a bit more relaxed. And it really, it shouldn't matter really how your media persona is and and how it affects your relationship with the public. But I mean. It hasn't been a, a, a media criticism of Robbie. You could you could get in a taxi in Dublin, and there's every chance that the you know the the, the driver could be a Robbie Keane fan, as there could be that he's, not, he's a Robbie Keane critic. Um, he just he maybe he's just not beloved, um, and it does, it's, it's hard to 
you know, to sort of make a definitive theory, reach a definitive conclusion as to why it is. But maybe he's just taken for granted that there's been nobody but Robbie, really, in terms of carrying that burden for over a decade. And and maybe he's just not the kind of national hero, the more modest, unassuming type uh, that maybe the Irish sports fan uh, loves or, or sort of the official Ireland loves. Whereas actually, I think maybe in the last week or a couple of weeks, people have realised, no, this guy was an absolute superstar and he will be missed a lot. I mean, not to go into a broader debate, but Irish football needs another Robbie Keane very badly and there isn't one coming down the tracks and people realise that now. That arrogance, that cockiness is something that uh, Stephen Hunt was uh, relating to in his Sunday Independent column at the weekend too. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think, you know, Robbie did carry himself with a with a certain swagger. And, I mean, I've heard stories about that sort of presence around the, the, the senior camp, that he was the most respected figure. He was the top man, really. And, yeah, perhaps, you know, as Stephen Hunt touched upon, Robbie always probably wanted that degree of respect. It was always noticeable even that I mean I touched on it in a piece last week that you know teammates of Robbie um, that you know when they retired and sort of moved into media work and we've had this sort of phase over the past couple of years this awkwardness um, of it being sort of obvious that Robbie shouldn't be a number one starter anymore yet you could almost sense it was sort of excruciating for um, his his ex-teammates, they were always reluctant to, to call for Robbie to be dropped. And I, I, I've spoken to a couple about it, and they admitted, they admit privately that, you know, this is just an awkward one because Robbie was such a dominant figure, a, a popular figure, although Stephen Hunt maybe didn't get on that well with him, but generally quite popular and respected, that it was almost heresy to, to suggest that there could be an Ireland team without Robbie. And, I mean, when he was 17, 18, he walked into the dressing room like he owned the place. And um, that that takes a certain strong character when he, when you consider he was coming into the tail end of a dressing room, sort of hanging over from sort of Jack Charlton era um, of some really big characters, you know, Tony Cascarino, even Niall Quinn, guys in their 30s. And, and Robbie was coming in and sort of bossing people around the place and, and owning the place from the start. Um but that that says something about a strength of, of character, and and even um, even as even though that sort of swagger existed, and, and that perhaps that certain cockiness or confidence existed, um, he was also respected, and he was the voice of the dressing room. I mean, he was made Irish captain at twenty six. There was a lot of eyebrows raised. I mean, the natural thing that even should a striker be a captain, and and questions that that go with that. Um, but really, anybody else being the voice of the dressing room, it, it wouldn't have suited them. I mean, even Richard Dunn is his great mate and has a strong character, but, but Robbie was more likely to be the one maybe voicing the dressing room concerns and, and leading the dressing room delegation at, at any time. And he, he was the leader of the group. And I suppose the leader of any group, they can sometimes have this presence that the new guys don't always warm to. But over time, I think they all come to respect his authority. Do you um do you have a favorite Robbie moment? Was it those those dying seconds against Germany in two thousand and two? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it probably is. I mean, I actually thought that um, Robbie during the, the the campaign, which led up to 
uh, Thierry Henry's handball in Paris and, and not to go, go there again. But he was actually fantastic during that campaign. Um, and while I still think, you know, if you were to do a 10-second highlights package of, of Robbie's Ireland career, it probably would be, you know, the 2002 World Cup. That would feature very, very prominently. Um, he scored a lot of other important goals at other times. Um, and even in small things like the uh, the goal against Italy in, in 2009 in Bari, uh, it was a sort of a late equaliser. Actually, it was Robbie and, and Stephen Hunt's brother, Noel, um, who both effectively connected on the ball at the, at the same time. Uh, but Robbie was a no doubt about that it was his goal and it was his moment. And he did have this this sort of great selfish streak. And I say great selfish streak, I mean, I suppose selfish implies there's a bad thing about it. But I mean, that's, that's what made him such a good goal scorer. And he, and he even touched on it yesterday that, um, he probably wouldn't have scored 67 international goals if he didn't have that single-minded striker's approach. Um, so I just think little moments like that. I mean, you know, the the, the, the moments where Robbie in a in a what might might not seem to be a very important game, yet he's still buzzing around the place, absolutely determined to score. You know, I just think. Sometimes international football occasions, even the friendlies, as we know, I mean, pretty much all the friendlies can be fairly monotonous and, and difficult. But Robbie always brought something to it. So maybe it's not one one defined memory, although 2002 was pretty great. I think his overall approach um, was was pretty amusing, that he, but yet also impressive that he was just so determined, and and also as well just. You know how how annoyed he would get at questions about people like Stephen Ireland and and those with a casual approach to international football. I think Robbie Robbie really cared, and and listening to Robbie speak about it would uh, would always be quite entertaining. That was Dan McDonald from the Irish Independent. Danny, do you want to know my favourite fact about Robbie Keane? I would love to. He's related to Morrissey. Well. Is this uh The Morrissey? Yeah? Yeah. Of the Smiths. Okay. Would you like me to tell you how? Yes, please. Keane's late grandfather and Morrissey's father are cousins, while the singer's mother, Elizabeth, lived on Captain's Road in Crumlin, where uh, Keane's family once lived. So I think the moral of the story is all Irish people kind of... We're all connected yeah. in some way. <laughs> but that's pretty cool being related to Morrissey. There's even pictures of them hanging out together. I think... Um, he went to he went along because they both live in LA. So he went along to uh, Morrissey's gig, and Morrissey came along to a, a Galaxy can gig. I, can I tell you my favorite Robbie Keane moment? Yeah, it's when uh, the the American media took a picture of David Beckham and his family and Robbie Keane at the uh, Lakers game one time, and the caption was "David Beckham and anonymous fan." <laughs> <laughs> okay, it is of course International Week. Germany play. Who do Germany play? Um, Finland. They have a friendly against Finland. Uh, yes, that's not interesting, is it? Not, not at all. The only interesting thing about that is, I remember a game against Finland. It must have been before the World Cup 2002. So basically, before Germany started being good again on international level, um, it was a game against Finland when everybody questioned German football and everything was in doubt. I think we played. Like we drew in Finland, something like that. And then we just made it through the group stage as a third, had to go to playoffs to qualify for Japan and South Korea. Um, and that was kind of a 
Then we pivoted. We luckily made the second place uh, in Asia and things got better again. Yeah, and of course, it's Bastian Schweinsteiger's going away party. Forgot about that, yes. How could you forget about that? Uh, You know, like he's looking forward uh, to a great season for the Man United Reserve. (laughs) I was going to say this might be the last time he plays for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Poldi's going away as well or is he getting a separate one? No, I think they're, they're doing it together there. They're doing it together. It's romantic. Okay, and then Germany, it is romantic. Well, they sort of came in together, they leave together, it makes sense. Uh, And then they play Norway away, but we don't want to talk about that, do we? That's not interesting. No. Okay. I mean, they are studying their title defence, but it's not interesting. What is interesting is the Italian squad and Donnarumma. Did I pronounce it? Go on, say it for me, because you say it. Donnarumma. Yeah, you say it. Okay. He's in the squad, finally. He's the... He's a predestined, predestined player. I mean, there's some players that you just see and tell that they're going to be greats. Yeah. Even like uh, the penalty saved last week. There was one penalty when Buffon was 17. He saved. He he was like he wasn't supposed to play the game against Milan, and then the first go first choice keeper for Parma got injured. And Buffon came in. He was like 16 and 17. People were like, "Okay, we're going to lose," and he pulled off an amazing performance and he saved the penalty against. Baggio or way out something like, you know an amazing player at that age and when I saw Donnarumma save that penalty okay it wasn't but it was still a last minute penalty you, you could just tell he's he's going to be a great an amazing goalkeeper and he's like the youngest player since forever 105 years yeah brilliant he has been we didn't mention it earlier but he has been keeping Milan in this in kind of yeah. in games this season I mean, even, even against Napoli that they, he conceded four goals, but he was man of the match. <laughs> well, yeah, it should have been a lot more, a lot more without yeah. him, right? Um, England, big Sam squad, Danny? Yeah, I mean, the big talking point is the inclusion of uh, Michael Antonio, um, which I think is interesting. He's, he's kind got of a furrowed a, brow, like you don't, yeah, like you don't understand I, I it. I don't think he's in the top, uh, how, how big was the squad, 23? I don't think he's in the top 23 players in England by any stretch, but, but he strikes me as a, a kind of big Sam player with that mentality of having worked up from the lower leagues and he's, he's physical he's always going to work hard get up and down um, so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens the other talking point is of course on forms Ross Barkley yeah he's left out Ross Barkley I, I think sort of one of the concerns for me is left out Wilshire as well who's not really playing but actually Chamberlain who I think has had a decent start to the season uh, too and then he's got in the midfield uh, Drinkwater, Eric Dyer, and uh, and and Jordan Henderson, uh, and one of the concerns for me, if I'm an England fan, might be that he's sort of going in that direction. I mean, you can just imagine a a, a Drinkwater, Dyer, and Henderson midfield sort no of Kevin running Nolan. around. No, not yet, but we'll see. Well, give it yeah, time. Don't rule it out. Did you want to mention something about America, or will we bother? Uh, yeah, we can. I think. I mean, they they have a couple Caribbean World Cup qualifiers. Ah, okay. Um, but uh, the the two stories are one is Clint Dempsey has a an irregular heartbeat, which is actually quite sad. So, kind of remains to be seen if he's actually ever going to play for them again. Sorry, Clint uh, Dempsey is still playing football. Yeah, yeah, he plays for Seattle. Yeah, really, and he plays plays regularly for America. He was he was starting in the in the Copa America this summer. Um, I, thought, but I thought he might have given it up for his rap career. No, no, that I think they they, they can exist side by side. Um, and then yeah the other quick thing is that uh, Sasha Nico's laughing he doesn't believe me Clint Dempsey has a rap look, career look it up on YouTube it's a, it's a real thing does he call himself Deuce 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 or something yeah, like that yeah something like that Deuce mm-hmm. yeah something 
Um, the other one thing just to mention quickly is Sasha Kleschen, who used to play for Anderlecht and Klinsmann brought in when he, he came in, uh, in as manager um, and hasn't called up sort of since for reasons that are inexplicable to me because the guy's one of the best uh, American players out there is, is finally back in the squad. So that's nice to see. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks as ever to Nico, Danny Manfredi and a special shout out to our standing producer for the day, Ben. Demo is currently off swanning his way around Italy, eating his weight in uh, pizza. We'll be back next week, but if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime with any questions or comments, you can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OneFootball. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.